The Roots on Fire. You're about to experience the most high-octane, pedal-to-the-metal controversial show of your life. Please, this station is not responsible for injuries. This is Wayne Allen Root, raw and unfiltered, with America's favorite conservative rock star, direct from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. What time is it? It's time for War! Here's your host, 100% raw truth, 100% American-made, the warrior, Wayne Allen Root. All right, Wayne Allen Root, the Root, the Root, the Root's on fire. It's going crazy out there, folks. The world is on fire. The United States is on fire. So much to tell you about. Uh, this just in, well, it's not really just in, but in today, uh, my show starts now, and of course it was in before the show, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates another 50 basis points and then announced to the world that uh, there's going to be more rate increases in 2023 that shocked Wall Street and that there would be no cuts in 2024. How they know that this far in advance, I have no idea because they couldn't pick my nose. They're so bad. So they don't have any idea what 2023 or 2024 will bring. But I have an idea and I am not an economist and I'm not a financial genius like uh, my financial guru, Kip Herridge, who understands stocks like no one in the world. But I'll tell you what, I have a common sense guy and there's a suicide bomber at the White House. There's a suicide bomber at the Fed. There's a suicide bomber at the World Economic Forum. There's a suicide bomber atop all of them, George Soros. There's a suicide bomber atop George Soros, the Chinese Communist Party, and they're trying to destroy this country. And inflation is not going down. Anything you hear to the contrary is a lie. Inflation is at the same or getting worse every single month. Everything I buy is higher today than it was yesterday and the day before and the week before and the month before. So anyone who says inflation has peaked is is a bookworm that's looking at charts and not living in the real world. It's only getting worse and next year is going to be even worse. More big news. Sam Bankman Freed taken to a rat infested Bahamas jail after begging a judge to grant bail because he's a depressed vegan. Now he's going to be in a jail in the Bahamas, probably the only white guy in the entire jail. Good luck to you, Sam Bankman Freed. That should be an experience. And my guess is he'll come out of it either shanked or they'll claim he committed suicide. Either way, he's gone. He's eliminated and he'll never testify about the FTX scandal that I believe is the worst scandal in the history of the Democrat Party. It's right up there with the Hunter Biden laptop that nobody ever saw. They gave so much money in 2022 and all the money they gave was concentrated on defeating Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, Carrie Lake and Blake Masters in Arizona, Adam Laxalt in Nevada, all the Trump candidates, Herschel Walker in Georgia. That's how they beat him. That's how they made the case that no one likes Trump anymore and that Trump isn't popular and his candidates all lost. They used billions of dollars of money laundered in Ukraine from FTX and Sam Bankman Freed, and he knows where all the bodies are buried, and they're going to murder him as sure as I'm standing here. Meet the new Seth Rich. This guy just became the new Seth Rich, and Democrats are going to make sure this guy's murdered, but they're a lot smarter than they were with Jeffrey Epstein, where the guards were sleeping and the videos were off, and he was heard screaming, and then they claim he committed suicide. That's 
that's just a little bit too much to do a second time in a row. So what a brilliant idea. Get him arrested in the Bahamas. Stick him in a horrible Bahamas hellhole jail where everybody is black and poor and a rich little white Jewish boy enters the jail cell and they are going to kill him as sure as I'm standing here or he is going to be suicided and you'll never see him again, not around to testify about all the crimes committed by the Democrat Party and select rhinos like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. All right, Las Vegas police released booking photo of Joe Biden's non-binary former nuclear waste official, Sam Britton. I have just gone insane at the idiocy of this man being in charge of America's nuclear waste and being one of the big shots at the Energy Department for months now. He is a man, dresses as a woman, and is involved in pup sex. He turns you into a slave, and you bark like a puppy, and he beats the crap out of you. These are sick people, mentally ill, sick people who don't know what sex they are, don't know if they've got a penis or a vagina, probably has both, probably has fun with both of them, and is a weirdo. These are weird, bizarre people. What they're doing in government, I have no idea. They used to be waiters. They used to work at, you know, uh, shows on the strip. What they're doing in major positions at Health and Human Services in the Energy Department, I have no idea. But how do we finally get rid of this weirdo in high heels, a man in high heels addresses a woman and likes you to bark like a dog. He had to steal luggage at two different airports in order for us to get rid of him. And finally, the last indignity was stealing luggage at the Las Vegas airport. These are sick people, mentally ill, not just because he dresses as a woman and wears high heels and makes people bark like dogs and likes puppies. No, that's not really the only reason he's mentally ill. He's mentally ill because he steals luggage, which means he's a self-hating, self-destructive loser that lost the biggest job of his life and is now fired. And instead of handling being in charge of the nuclear waste of the United States of America, he's taking uh, a shots, uh, prison shots, mug shots, and he's going to wind up in a prison sell. But of course, of course, or the pound, maybe he's going to be at the Humane Society. But deep, deep down, this is probably what he wanted all along. He wasn't getting enough puppy action in the government, right? So now he'll get plenty of puppy action when he gets to a prison cell. He's going to be barking and moaning, I can tell you that much. And he probably will like every minute of it. How disgusting, you lowlife loser. This is what's wrong with America. And then how about this one? Just to follow up on that story, former CNN producer for Chris Cuomo pleads guilty in a pedophile scandal. John Griffin, who worked, quote, shoulder to shoulder with Chris Cuomo. Well, that's interesting. Shoulder to shoulder with Chris Cuomo. Chris, I, so he was shoulder to shoulder with Chris Cuomo, pleaded guilty on Monday in federal court to using interstate commerce to entice and coerce a nine-year-old girl to engage in sexual activity at his Vermont ski house. Wow, this is a different, I didn't even know that. This is a different CNN producer pedophile than Jake Tapper's former producer, Rick Salaby, who resigned after it emerged uh, that he solicited sexually explicit photos of an underage girl. Wow, this guy Griffin admitted to meeting the girl's mother on a website during the summer of 2020, after which he persuaded her to bring the nine-year-old child to his Vermont ski home for illegal sexual activity. A 
According to the Daily Mail, Griffin used Google Hangouts and Kick, I don't even know what Kick is, to convince the mothers that a woman is a woman regardless of her age and that women should be sexually subservient and inferior to men. This according to the indictment. You know, this is not according to the National Enquirer. It's according to the indictment. Wow. He worked for eight years as a producer at CNN and was fired following his arrest. And here's a photo of him and Chris Cuomo together. Wow. And it actually says in the photo, Chris Cuomo says, uh, can he get me blessed by Pope Francis thanks to my giant baby head? Let's try it, shall we? Gives new meanings to those words now, doesn't it? He also attempted to uh, entice two other children over the Internet to engage in sexual activity, allegedly proposing a virtual training session which would involve instructing a mother and her 14-year-old daughter to get naked and touch each other at his direction. And then in June 2020, he proposed to a mother of a 16-year-old that she take a little mother-daughter trip to a ski house for sexual training involving the minor. And, and she went. She went? I guess they're telling me she did. There's some sick people in this world, and they all happen to be Democrats. Wow. And now, to the actual two biggest news stories of the day. First of all, how much time we have, Chris? A minute and a half. All right. So I'm going to tease the two stories, and then we'll come back, and uh, we'll actually dig into them. Number one, I believe as Title 42, which means remain in Mexico, ends in the next week. In the next few days, this literally is, is, is the end of America. America will never recover. Uh, there are experts predicting, you know, up till now, 5 million illegals were let into the United States in the last two years under Biden. There are experts who are now predicting well over 6 million will come into the United States in just the next 12 months. So now it's gone from, you know, 2.5 million a year to 6 million a year. We're never going to recover. And I predicted all of this. I predicted if Democrats ever won another presidency, and in, in this case, they stole the presidency, they rigged it and stole it, and now they're fixing it so we can never win again by letting in the entire world, millions and millions and millions. And if it's going to be 6 million, maybe it'll be 10 million this year. Maybe next year it'll be 20 million. The entire world is lined up to come in. How do you know I'm right and I'm not exaggerating? Because California Governor Gavin Newsom says California is about to break amid a flood of illegal immigrants when Title 42 expires. Gavin Newsom said illegal immigration policies of the federal government are not working and the U.S. government must take responsibility and ownership. Gavin Newsom is on Wayne Root's team. California will sink based on all the illegals coming in. And I've got news about the COVID vaccine when we get back. All right, Wayne Allen Root. You know, I've had dogs my whole life, and I've met pup handlers. I've never met a pup handler. Oh, my God. You know, it, I could have lived my whole life without ever hearing that term and seeing that disgusting, low-life, perverted piece of human garbage and a major government role at the Energy Department overseeing the nuclear waste of the United States of America. You know, that's a sick man. I can imagine what he really wanted to do with the nuclear waste. He may get a chance to do it, too, in a prison cell with about 52 other men around him. 
These are all disgusting people, man. These are the people that when I was a kid, you'd say, what a weirdo. He hides in a closet. He hides in a in an alleyway. And now you make him a major government official because Democrats are in charge. Do you know how sick this is? How about this headline? Wait, I'm not done. There's better headlines. There's a better headline than a pup handler in the White House uh, as a major... Democrat government official in charge of nuclear waste. You go, what could be wilder than that? Um, Obama, excuse me, Obama. Well, he is the real president, Obama. But Biden, the puppet president uh, who takes Obama's orders, he actually signed a bill at the White House, Respect for Marriage Act, which was all about LGBTQ and, you know, putting you and me in jail for disrespecting someone using the wrong pronoun. But a dra- drag queens were invited to the White House for the signing ceremony. And a drag queen at the White House once performed for a two-year-old boy. I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It's impossible. Uh, Marty G. Cummings. Uh, Cummings, that's, that's funny. Marty G. Cummings must have changed her name. A drag queen who Joe Biden invited to attend the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, shared a picture of his invitation on social media, said he was grateful to receive the overture to go to the White House. Long history of activism. One video of Cummings singing the children's song Baby Shark to a toddler went viral three years ago. Footage showed Cummings donned in a wig, high heel boots, and a leotard tightly hugging his genitals, clapping along with the tune, at one point spinning onto a long table and briefly drawing the attention to his nether regions. A man who appeared to be the boy's father was smiling, bouncing the child on his knees, and recording the interaction while grinning from ear to ear. Folks, there are sick people in this world, and they're taking over the United States of America. They're not hiding anymore in strange clubs in lower Manhattan, okay? They're at the White House. This is bizarre. All right, Engineer Tax Services is this. Engineer, Chris is laughing in my ear. Engineer Tax Services is the sponsor of this segment of the show. See, I have real people, not freaks, weirdos, and bizarros. And nut jobs. I have real people sponsoring my show, like Engineer Tax Services. If you're a real person, and you're not a weirdo, and you own a small business, and you don't like paying a lot of extra taxes to Uncle Sam, then listen up, because Engineer Tax Services, ETS, can help you keep more of your own money, perhaps a lot more. What ETS does is help regular businesses like yours by working with your accountant to obtain the types of advanced, complex, lucrative tax credits that usually only go to billion-dollar multinational corporations. ETS is the leading tax expert in America for decades. They're attorneys, engineers, and scientists that perform millions of these tax services, and they've saved regular businesses like yours billions of dollars by working directly with your accountant. You don't have to fire your accountant. They work directly with your accountant, and you don't hire them until you find out what they can save you. You go there, you call them, and you get a free no-cost analysis. You tell them Wade Root sent you. It's 100% free. It costs you nothing. It's risk-free. You're under no obligation to buy or join or anything like that. Just check it out. You owe it to yourself. 800 236 800 236-6519 or visit engineeredtaxservices.com. So I told you there was another huge story I wanted to get to. What do we have, Chris? Like 90 seconds again? A buck 20, even less. 
A third journalist has died suddenly and unexpectedly at the Qatar World Cup. I believe that's how you pronounce the country, right? It's, it's Qatar. Or maybe it's Qatar. Maybe it's Qatar. It's Qatar. I'm sorry. It looks like Qatar, but it's Qatar. I always forget whether it looks like the way it sounds. Qatar uh, World Cup. Third journalist. I, when, I, when the first journalist died suddenly and unexpectedly, clearly of a heart attack, I said, my God, the vaccine's killing everyone. Then a second journalist died. And I said, my God, the vaccine's killing everyone. Now a third journalist died. And these journalists, the very definition of journalist means they're liberal. They love everything government says. They trust government. They followed government. They love Fauci like Jimmy Kimmel. They followed Fauci. And they all got quadruple jab. They probably got their fifth jab on the way to Qatar, on the way to the World Cup. Three journalists dead suddenly and unexpectedly. The entire liberal world is dropping dead suddenly and unexpectedly. And they're so dumb and clueless, they listen to government and they notice all their friends dying around them and they keep going, wow, I don't really understand what's happening. You're just dealing with people that are so clueless, they couldn't spell cat if I spotted them the C and the A. All right, uh, Tony, we got our guest. You do. Oh, Dick Morris is with us. We've got him. Republican political strategist, Newsmax host. His new book is The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. Uh, you can find more about him at DickMorris.com. Dick Morris, welcome to the Wayne Elroot Show. How are you? Well, good to be here, Wayne. Love doing the show with you. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and all of that. Thank you. So, uh, by the way, just uh, in the interest of kind of insider baseball, I just got off the interview on my weekend show that I taped because it's Christmas, so I taped it today. It's on Real America's Voice TV Network, and my guest was President Donald J. Trump. So I went straight from Trump to you. (laughs) I just hung up with Trump like 10 minutes ago, and now I'm on with you. And I said the same thing to him about the omnibus spending bill. It's obscene, it's ridiculous, and it's it's suicidal that any Republican would vote for it. Why would any Republican vote for it? What do they get out? of voting for it. Well, you said it precisely. It's suicidal. They're dying anyway. The Republicans that voted for it are all retiring, uh, except for a few rhinos, you know, who always vote that way. But um, but the the real votes that make that possible are Burr from North, North Carolina, Tillis from North Carolina, Portman from Ohio, and one other, I forget, and Blunt from Missouri. And what they all have in common is they're retiring. Mm. They're parting gift to us. Uh, wow. we, can't, we can't hold them accountable. They've left. And the way they get, that McConnell got their votes was to lay in the bill with every earmark in the world they wanted. And God knows if those earmarks relate to the future career of these gentlemen and are, in fact, payoffs to their uh, post-senatorial life. I have no right. proof of that. But I'm I'd sure. Love to go through the earmarks and check them all out. I know that the bill is so laden with earmarks, it's, it's worse than Santa Claus. Well, and the thing I discussed with Trump that I found just so outrageous, you know, let's separate out all the waste and all the spending and all the debt and all the earmarks that we know is, is wasteful payoffs to senators and their constituents and the people that donate to them. Separate from all that, how could any Republican vote yes or yay uh, on a bill that gives zero dollars to border security while it gives $45 billion to Ukraine for their border security, in other words, the invasion by Russia, and it gives $410 million to Middle Eastern countries for their border security, and zero for ours. Insanity. Well, you're, 
when you're right, but the question is how can they vote for it? I think I just answered. Uh, they're beyond the pale. They're not accountable. They're not. Uh, we, they're out of politics, and this is their retirement. Obviously. I mean, obviously, they're never going to face. There must be a few Republicans that voted for it, though, Dick, that that are, that will face voters again one day. I haven't no, seen the yes, list there, yet. There are, but they're the rhinos. Susan Collins, uh, uh, Mitt Romney, um, yes. uh, you know, uh, yeah, Cassidy. Uh, they're the rhinos, and they're the people who never believed in our cause. They just masquerade as Republicans. There are about six or seven of them, and then there are about four or, four or five retirees plus uh, 40 uh, Republicans, 40, Rep- 40 Democrats give them 60 votes, and that's how they do it. It's and unbelievable. They've not, only, they've not only given away the store for this year, but they gave it away for next year, too. Because the bill says that there will be no change in the debt limit uh, until 2024. Uh, so our leverage is gone. And they're passing appropriations not for this fiscal year, but for next fiscal year. So when the Republican Congress convenes, they will have nothing to do because the budget will have already been passed. And their next opportunity to affect spending will be in October of 2023. For 2024, by the way. Right. And by the way, by the way, never have they done it anyway. Right. Let's be honest, Dick. I mean, you know, I'm a Republican who says the other side is evil and our side is a bunch of feckless cowards. And I've never seen Republicans really ever cut anything. When do we ever cut actual spending? And the answer is, I think never. Even Reagan was my hero, never cut spending. And Trump's one of my heroes. He never cut spending. And and I really don't remember any Republican Congress, even the new Gingrich one. I don't think they cut spending. Ever. Come on, there's, there's something very different than not cutting spending in a budget that spends about uh, $3 trillion and not cutting yes. spending in a budget. No, no, I know that. I'm just saying even $8 trillion. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. I'm just saying even when we get control of the House, we're still never going to cut spending. We may just not increase it like this, like pigs. I get it. Yeah. But someone should one day try no. and cut. <laughs> but it's not just a question of pigs here. Uh, it's a question of, of serious damage to the economy. Uh, right. We're already vastly overspending. That's hyping demand. It, it, it's a narcotic for the taxpayers. They say, so this is- hey, I'm going to give you more wages, I'm going to give you a t- another job, uh, but on the other hand, at the supermarket, you'll give it all back. And uh, they haven't caught on to this transaction yet. So, and, so obviously... Uh, just a con. Dick, obviously, this is going to be devastating for inflation. It's going to cause a lot more inflation, right? Of course, of course it is. Absolutely. In two respects. One is what's called demand-pull inflation, which is more demand for the same number of goods. But the other is cost-push, which means when they increase the salaries, they have to increase the prices to cover that. And when they increase prices, that forces the price of the product up. So... We're going to be caught in a whipsaw. And at the same time, because the supply chain will be cut, because, like, energy costs go up and other costs rise, uh, we're going to have fewer things to buy and pay more and more for it. So this is a total disaster. But what do they care, man? They're leaving town. 
Right. It's just, you know, well, what do they care if they had a conscience? But none of them do. None of them do. It's just about payoffs to themselves. They just want to get rich. Um, let's segue to the, uh, and there's nothing we could do about this now. So let's segue to the criminal charges. The January 6th House Select Committee referred to the DOJ against President Trump that could potentially bar him from ever running again. Uh, would this actually have any no. impact? First of all, could they, could they make this happen? And second of all, will no. it have any impact on his political future? No and no. Uh, they cannot make that happen. Uh, the, there, is, the, the, there are two ways they could conceivably do it. One would be to say he led an insurrection against the United States. And uh, the Constitution provides that if you did that, you can't run for office. That's a reconstruction or a provision. But it was waived in 1872. And when, uh, when it was under the guise of it's trying to be a sectional reconciliation after the Civil War. And uh, when they attempted to enforce it against, I think his name is Caldwell, a Madison Caldwell, a congressman from Virginia, who uh, attended the January 6th riot, and they tried to bar him from the ballot based on that clause. And the court held that, no, there was an amnesty to that, so even if it was an insurrection, you can't bar him. The second ground is that if you take government archives, the law says that you can't, again, have security clearance. But the qualifications for president do not include not taking the archives home. And you can't change the qualifications for president by a simple law or court decision. So, no, this in no way is going to bar Trump from running. Politically, it's going to empower him because his supporters will all understand that the Democrats are out after him to get him using any technique they possibly can. And that shows how much they fear him. And the Republicans are going to rally to his side. I hope. Something more I think. But there's I agree. something more important, Wayne. This is not about Donald Trump. This is about James Madison and Thomas Jefferson. This is about whether a federal police force can intervene in an election suppress vital information like the Hunter Biden laptop two weeks before the voting to force the election of their candidate. Uh, This is far worse than Watergate, and it's a civil liberties and democracy issue that overshadows everything else in my view. And I believe it's going to be the central issue. I I told Trump it's treason, but there's nobody to arrest uh, the FBI. There's no one to arrest the Attorney General. There's no one to arrest the DOJ. In other words, how do you arrest the people who are in charge of law enforcement? There's nobody to do it. That's the issue. Hey, Dick, the music's on. We're running out of time. If you want to answer that question, I'm glad to have you stay through the break and answer it on the other side. I I want to, but I can't. All right, so Dick's on the run. All right, look, Dick Morris, Republican political strategist, Newsmax host. His new book is The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. Always a friend of Wayne Root in this show. DickMorris.com. Dick Morris, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. All the above. God bless. Hey, everybody, we are now live and we are live broadcasting. So here's how this is going to work today. I'm here and I'm available. I'm ready to answer any questions that you have. And here's the format. We're going to start talking about um, anything that comes up. So here's what we got going on today. Uh, Obviously, I talked about the Australia FOIA release. That's interesting. If you want to talk about the China stuff that's been going on, hey, hello, everybody. Uh, We can talk about that stuff as well. I'm going to be monitoring the chat, which is over here when I look that way, 
Uh, I'll be seeing what the chats are there. So please feel free to chat away. Say hello to each other. Hello, everybody. Um, hi. It's good to see you all here. And uh, you know me, so I have a few slides if we want to go there and talk about this. But big pieces tonight. I want to talk about the China conflict. Obviously, I want to talk about anything you have to say about what's going on with the explosive releases that are going on now and ugly about all the things that were hidden from us, obviously. And so if you have any medical uh, sort of COVID vaccine sort of things, we'll do that within the construct of, obviously, this is YouTube. So um, I have to be a little bit circumspect. And of course, I'm less circumspect back over at Peak Prosperity, where I get to speak my full mind. And as well, I, I wanted to talk tonight a little bit about how I go about doing what I do, which is I think about things in terms of frames. You know, this is a really complicated world we live in. And so it's really easy or easier if we have big, easy frames that we can work with. So an example is rats in a cage, if you remember that. So rats in a cage is based on that scientific study that says that, well, you know, when you take social animals and you stress them and they can't do anything about the stressors or even diagnose where those stressors are coming from, that they end up fighting each other. And so, um, hey, happy new year uh, to you, Avoids Pikes. Love it. Thank you very much for the support. So that whole idea of framing then is once you understand that because we're all being shocked and we can't do anything about the shocks, that we have, we then have the opportunity to extract ourselves from that scenario in the sense that we don't become like rats in a cage and fight the people we shouldn't be fighting. We should understand where the shocks are coming from. So that framing helps us digest what's happening today and also giving us the opportunity so that we can begin to um, navigate into our own lives and make the most of it that we can. So yeah, Absolutely, rats in a cage. That, that's framing. So I got a whole little piece here. I have lots of different pieces of framing. I find it a really useful way to sort of look at the world. So let's start here. Um, this was, uh, I'm going to start right here and we'll put this over. Yeah, check this out. U.S. military says that Chinese fighter jet performed unsafe maneuver involving a U.S. Air Force aircraft. So that's an RC-135 plane that was flying around flew within 20 feet. Hey, this happens. Uh, I knew a guy who was in the Air Force for many, many years. They did this sort of cat and mouse game, but with Russians back in the day, where they would actually get a wing under a, a Russian bomber that was coming too close, and with the air pressure on the top of that wing, would physically rotate these guys out of the airspace. That was a, a an even closer maneuver saying, get out. Uh, so these things do happen, but this clearly says things are heating up here right now. And I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because if you really understand where we are in the oil story, the resource story, the monetary story, you understand there's big pressures here and it would be well within every country's national interest to figure out how it was going to protect its own people and get the resources its country needs for its own prosperity. So I get it. Unfortunately, I feel my analysis is that Europe, the United States, Australia, Canada, New Zealand are behaving in a really bizarre way where the thing that they are most doing right now is um, operating in ways that are inconsistent with the view that we have to be really careful about where we're going in the future. They don't understand the connection between energy and the economy. So, oh, heck, we don't need energy. You know, we'll just put some more windmills up or we'll just, you know, put some more sanctions on Russia. Whatever the story is, it's fundamentally disconnected from the idea that real prosperity comes from real people taking real risks and converting 
real raw goods into finished products. That's it. That's the whole story. It could be a farmer taking a piece of land and turning it into milled corn. It could be somebody going from raw bauxite into a magnesium aluminum alloy BMW engine block. It could be somebody going from oil molecules 10,000 feet under the soil of the Bakken play in North Dakota and somehow getting that to us coming out of a magic little hose into our gas tanks, right? That's where real value and prosperity come from. I'm not sure we have people who really understand that. So, um, hey, you know, that's uh, that's the story as I see it. So this is keating up. My, my anticipation is, you know, this is really, I want to talk about, you know, all the things that 2023 might bring. Um, this is a big one right here. So I'm keeping an eye on what's happening and developing here, not necessarily around just the construct of, will the United States get in some sort of very unfortunate shooting war with China, but really the geopolitics of an ascendant power, a corrupted and diminishing power and how that sort of balances out nature abhors a vacuum, geopolitics really abhors a vacuum. And so how those get filled in often is um, awkward to say it the least. So um, at any rate, that's this is a big deal to watch out for. And of course, Australia heavily exposed to this, uh, of course, because a lot of the resources that Australia has, China wants. And so how that all plays out is going to be um, really quite interesting as we go forward. Now, a um, lot of questions in here I see showing up now. Um, Misty Channel asking, what is the next pandemic likely to be? What should we look for? Well, I was just asked this question today when I was at the bank uh, doing some stuff. So, um, hey, Nick, if you happen to be watching this, great service at the bank today. And Nick's a young guy, and he asked me a couple questions. And one of them was, um, what did I think really about this last pandemic? And, of course, we just had this paper came out again from John Ioannidis of Stanford and some co-authors really parsed through the data, the infection fatality rate for people of Nick's age, which is under 30. Uh, the fatality rate was 0. 0.000. 03. I might have one too many zeros or one too few. I forget. It was a lot of zeros. Uh, that's a really awkward pandemic when it doesn't actually harm anybody. So it, it wasn't a pandemic of the young. We knew that. So we didn't have a pandemic. We had a pandemic for a brief window of time when the alpha version came out. And of course, that rapidly morphed into the beta version, which was not as bad. The delta version, which got a little bit worse for some reason. And then uh, of course, that got outcompeted and pushed out by Omicron, and then Omicron itself is now going through uh, a very aggressive replication cycle, which this work right here uh, begins to tell us a little bit more about, um, and not least of which is the idea that by giving a very, very specific, although sometimes in this case what we're looking at here are contaminated batches potentially, by using a single forcing function to get people's immune systems to respond in a single forced way. And remember, even the bivalent, the updated, the modern booster, bivalent means one of the parts of the bivalency is the original Wuhan strain, which hasn't been seen on the landscape for a year and a half or two. And the other part is an Omicron strain that has been outcompeted, no longer exists really in the wild at all. So it's a bivalent that serves nothing that's actually going on right now, except it creates a lot of difficulty, including what we pointed out in this piece of work right here that through the FOIA documents. So kind of kind of ugly. Now, long way of not answering Misty's question, which is what is the next pandemic? My view, the 
original strain that came out has way too many genetic signatures for me to have anything other than almost near total certainty that this was a chimeric lab creation. Now, I'm not going to assign motive to that. Was this, a, you know, some people say it's a, a bio W, you know, um, which I think is a banning term here, but on, on YouTube, some people say it was released intentionally, some accidentally. I don't know. I'm positive that it was the, the output of a lab. Similarly, Omicron, when you look at its genetic signature compared to the alpha, beta, gamma, delta varieties that were out there, it's like it has nothing to do with those. And, and, and actually, we had two strains, right? We had BA1, BA2 arise at the same time. They had as little to do with each other as either of them had to do with the original strain. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, what are the chances that that just magically came out of some mouse reservoir in South Africa? Uh, independently, all at once, and had looked like they actually had been frozen in time, but then once on the landscape, started doing what viruses, once they're released in the landscape, tend to do, which is mutate aggressively. And that's the landscape we're in. So when we say, what's the next pandemic we're likely to face? The first question way we have to bifurcate that is we have to ask a natural one or a man-made one. So, and again, without assigning motive, without saying they're doing this because right? Separate question. What are the chances that we're going to have another lab leak, sort of an accident, however that happens? It's a virtual guarantee. Why? Well, because we didn't learn from the first one. If this was an accidental lab leak, we should have noticed that. We should have said, wow, that stank. Maybe we shouldn't have been doing BSL-4, biosafety level 4 activity in a lab that was basically a BSL-2 basically a dentist office. Um, maybe we should not do that anymore. Maybe we should shut all these programs down until we can actually be a little bit more certain about how we're going to manage these things without having taken that corrective action. Because they, you know what they say, until you admit you have a problem, well, you can't fix it. So we had spent a lot of time under Fauci and all those horrible uh, virologists from around the world who spent all their time trying to emergency save their careers by shoving this really ridiculous natural origin theory down everybody's throats. And, and because they did that, we didn't get to have the honest conversation around, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this sort of activity at all. And even if that did come out of nature, can we still have a conversation about all the other stuff we're doing in these labs? And it's not like there's just one lab. Fort Detrick, we got to worry about that one, and maybe a national lab in France. Last I heard, when we were talking about Ukraine, they found that they were, and I'm not saying they were all doing this kind of work, but um, they found dozens of labs over there that all had to be shut down. I mean, there's hundreds of these sort of labs and experiments happening around the world, so this would be a great time for humanity to say, maybe somebody with two years of training and a couple of hundred thousand to throw into the right equipment should not be sort of performing this kind of work, right? So, Misty, great question. Uh, what is the chance we'll have another accidental or intentional release out of a, out of a human lab? That's 100% at this point in time because we haven't taken the, the opportunity to fix what went wrong the first time. What is the chance that we're going to get something out of a natural origin? i got to be honest, the more I dig into this, the more I'm like, I'm not so sure what came from nature anymore at all in the last, you know, 50, 40 years. Everything's up for question at this point in time. I'm talking everything. Um, that's how badly my my faith has been damaged, or actually that's how much has been released um, 
in terms of, of data at this point in time. So, yeah. Now, um, so I see here, uh, you know, Jose saying, I personally know three people that had heart attacks in 2021, 2022. You know, I, I, I talk with Steve Kirsch all the time. I talk with frontline doctors who are treating patients all the time. Um, I have my own personal network. I will tell you that right now, um, Every time somebody comes in and, and, and you know, I'm talking with a doctor and they say, oh, you know, this young guy, this young gal came in with this really weird condition or a heart attack or this turbo cancer that came out of nowhere, you know what the first question is, right? Have they been vaccinated? You know what the answer is almost every time. Now, of course, that's just maybe the law of odds because so many people have been vaccinated, but I'm starting to notice this other opposite, the omission pattern, which is how many times do you hear and they had no history of vaccination. And the answer is, I'm still waiting to hear that. Um, it, it's it's very rare to hear that. So that's kind of the story land that we're in right now. So, all right. Um, again, you know, as I talk this through, this was the bombshell. We saw that Jiki had found that there are these contaminated little humps over here, and they should have known that, and that they had access to smooth curves coming out of the Australian data, and very awkwardly, super awkwardly, Special limited batch quantities were allocated just for Pfizer employees. Make of that what you will. And even more awkwardly, um, of these batches that were highly associated with very bad outcomes, for some reason, those had a much, much higher chance than average to end up on the extended expiry date label extension um, in Australia. And so, so when we start to put this whole larger story together, I understand that there was a, a strong push to nudge everybody, right? Australia was very clear about this. The, the TGA said that they, their first and high, they had three reasons for blocking what I call Dwizabin 2, uh, which is drug which shall not be named, Dwizabin, which is IVM. I still can't say it here, right? That, that their first reason for that was they didn't want people to take that and then think that they shouldn't get the vaccine. Because So that what they're really saying is, hey, we had to block that because we didn't want any vaccine hesitancy. Hey, that's fine, but when you do that, you better be rock solid in your in your data that that is the right call to make. That because we're going to stop this and push people over to here, there's going to be a much better outcome from that. Guess what? They didn't have the data for that. They never had the data for that. In fact, now that we're in this stage of the thing, we're coming up on three years, right? January of 2023 is the three-year anniversary of this particular S show. And we now know that there was no data for masks, no data for when people should mask, no data driving the decision for why we should keep these stores open, but shut these stores down. There was no data behind why it was, you had to stay six feet apart. There was no data behind why it was necessary to be masked when you walked into a restaurant, but it was okay when you sat down to take it off. There was no data for um, these particular interventions that are on the screen right now, there was no data. There's no data behind any of this stuff. And I guarantee you that if somebody pokes in there and says to the TGA in Australia, tell us why you decided it was okay to extend the label expiry date from, in this case, February 28th to the 30th of November. Did you have data? Like you, you left some vials out, you tested them, you were looking for breakdown products, you did sequencing, you actually put these into animal models out of this lot to make sure that nothing had changed that you couldn't detect. Guarantee you, none of that happened. Somebody just pulled that number out of the air and said, 
here we go. So that that's really you know the, the subtext of this is this idea of massive um, data free sort of decisioning, but really aggressive, like really shoved down our throats. Like you have to do this, citizen, right? So at any rate. Um, and, uh, hey, so Brian says, hey, Chris, I'm beginning to see all-cause mortality spike in my own life over the past half year. Is that continuing to rise nationally? So it's a great question, Brian. I don't fully have the data yet, but I've got the glimmers of it. And so the glimmers that we have right now is that we saw that with a certain medical intervention spike, that there were two things that happened. First, there, within a 14-day window, there was a spike of badness that happened. And then there's another spike that happened about five months later. Now, good news. I think I can release this next week. I had a long um, video recording interview panel with some of the embalmers who were finding those calamari clots. And, oh, my God, this is just, uh, wow, um, really rocked me because they're just solid, you know, and and they they totally are qualified to say, hey, been doing this three, four decades, never saw them before. And when they talked about the timing of when these things started to show up, it matched perfectly with the data that had been surfaced earlier at our own site at Peak Prosperity by a guy named Dave DD. Big shout out to Dave, who, uh, excellent statistician, was running some data from Europe, I think from the Netherlands particularly, and found this five-month offset peak of the intervention and then this other peak, which we see now in the all-cause mortality data, it's showing up in the life insurance data, it's showing up in statistics that they're working double hard at the official level to tamp down and reclass and recode ethical skeptic, doing a great job undecoding that stuff and trying to put it back into play. Um, but there, there's games being played. So those were those two peaks. And then what we wanted to see, to the point of your question, Brian, what we wanted to see was those to tail off. Now, the good news from the embalmers, to give that away a little bit, they say that they are starting to see fewer and fewer of these big white calamari clots. So good news on that front. The bad news is what I just surfaced, which is now over um, at Peak Prosperity, is talking about the IgG4, which is there's different immunoglobulins, the Igs, um, the antibodies, the Ig classes, there's one, two, three, four. One and three are the ones you, that you want to see that will fight an infection, but two and four are busy tamping down the immune system. And when you get to four, if you see a lot of that four coming down, that can explain a lot of what we're seeing out there in terms of not just mortality, but morbidity. Mortality, we know what that is. Morbidity is any increase in illness that might come along with something. So somebody who had well-contained rheumatoid arthritis now has punishing rheumatoid arthritis. Somebody who had um, cancer that was well-contained is now suddenly aggressively not contained. Somebody who had, you know, any condition that suddenly dialed up or arose that they didn't know about, that's morbidity. The thing that we're seeing, even though we're seeing I, maybe the mortality, hopefully early signs, I'm hoping we're seeing that level out. We're starting to see some increase in these other morbidities. And that gets explained by this thing called understanding the class switching from IgG1 and 3 to 4. Complicated story. I never, ever, ever intended to know this much about immunology, <laughs> ever. And now I do. So here we are. Unfortunately, that's the stuff we all need to know about. Unfortunately, your authorities aren't doing squat to figure this out and communicate it effectively. They're doing the opposite of that. 
Unfortunately, um, you know, this is all something that we're going to have to learn about and figure out how to manage. And um, fortunately, though, I really believe in the power of the Internet as this distributed information center, this whole idea of centralization. Oh, we have to wait for the CDC to run some studies for Pope Fauci to initiate some grants through the next grant cycle so we can begin to understand this. We all need to give money to the American Cancer Center because if we concentrate it, great things will happen. The Internet is the opposite of that. Within weeks, within two weeks of COVID landing on the U.S. shores, people like Pierre Corey and other brilliant doctors had noticed that that things like corticosteroids really helped. And within weeks after that, they'd figured out other things that were really um, hugely, hugely helpful to managing this. And they figured that out years before the big centralized stuff even began to get its leviathan lumbery arms around the story in fact the center fought all that stuff probably just ego you know like we wouldn't want these little little people these little scrappy fringe doctors figuring out stuff before us because we're the important people you know that because of the corner office and my big budget right um you know that's that's really the story so so right now i'm seeing extraordinary discoveries being made by highly observant doctors who are figuring this stuff out and private researchers and even people without so-called medical training, anybody who comes up with something that has a smell of truth, I'll know it pretty quickly. And, and I can tell that ring of truth because these people are cautious and humble, but nimble and they figure stuff out. So the good news is we're figuring this stuff out. The bad news is we're going to have to figure it out really fast on the fly because the damage that has been done to people's immune systems is extraordinary. And this is why it takes 10 years to develop a vaccine, typically. You have to run it into the mouse models, then you run it into the rat models, then you put it into the rabbits, and then you put it up a layer into ferrets, and then you put it one layer higher and it goes into primates, and you try them at all different stages of life, and you try them through a reproductive cycle, and then you take their offspring and you watch what their offspring do, and can they have babies, right? That just, just takes time. Um, and there's a lot of toxicology and stuff's happening and you start noticing myocarditis and you're trying to figure stuff out and uh, it becomes a very long, complicated process. That's just typically how it works. We are now running this experiment out in real, in the real population. So, um, absolutely. Uh, so, Yanad, Chris, can you tell me your opinion on Andrew Tate being arrested? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't really know that I have an opinion an opinion on that. I mean, my opinion is that um, anybody who is outspoken tends to get in trouble with the system. So I'm always suspicious when somebody gets uh, taken down like that. Um, it could be, I, but I, I'm not familiar enough with the case to actually know what's legit, what's not in that case. But I will tell you anytime I, I you know, how much can I say about this? Well, I know people who have been directly physically threatened by very mysterious characters. These are people who were um, doctors. I'll tell you scary stuff like having somebody sit down near you and show you a picture of your family taken incognito at some point, um, that kind of stuff. That's been happening. Uh, obviously, that's what happens when you, know, you go up against a trillion dollar industry that would rather you know, protect it. So trillion dollar Nessie, um, that absolutely happens. But, uh, you know, hey, uh, I, I don't, I don't know enough about that case to say, I'm going to have to just watch that. I am deeply concerned though, that the people we're up against 
as contained the people who do stuff like like this here they don't they don't play the way you and I would play they they play different um and and they play for keeps so anybody who would knowingly bury this and then knowingly push this out they don't think like you and me well, I don't think that way. Maybe I don't know you, but I'm going to say most people on this, hopefully everybody on this particular stream, don't think uh, this particular way and would be, would even be able capable of doing this, right? Um, obviously, the first thing you'd do is you would pull these batches off. You would say, I'm very sorry that this even happened and it would be a big inquiry and heads would roll and suits would fly and that would be normal. We don't live in normal times. Um, and by the way, when I mentioned China, um, I spent a lot of my summer, uh, rewriting this and a bunch of my fall. So this is something called the crash course. If you don't, aren't familiar with my work around this, this is big high level framing. It connects economy, energy, environment. I spent a lot of time rewriting this, but it, this book actually changed a bunch of lives. Uh, back in 2011, when it first came out, Wiley, the publisher said, would I be willing to update it? I did totally revised it's great information, really good framing. Um, my request is that you pre-ordered. It. It's coming out in February of 2023. If you do that um, and you help them, maybe we could get it on the bestseller list and that way we stick it to the man. Also, you know, hey, I have compelling interest. I would love for this information to get out there. And um, the best way to do that is to help things go viral. And, you know, one of the best books I read this past year, this is extraordinary, I'm not saying this is even close to that good, best book was The Real Anthony Fauci by RFK Jr. And if you haven't read it, you really should. That thing is a prosecutorial manual. It's research out the wazoo. It's compelling. It's inescapably amazing. And it crushed the bestseller lists in terms of sales, but it didn't make it to any bestseller lists, <laughs> right? New York Times like, can we ignore this? You know, as they go down their, their crazy menticided little, uh, little roll there. So at any rate, yeah. Um, yeah, they are evil. Thank you, Nikki. It's totally, totally true. So, um, this is how I'm built. I, I think like this, I think Leonardo da Vinci captured it perfectly. I love this quote. It's, it's everything. Just learn how to see, realize that everything connects to everything else. So we are, in my estimation, in, in the Great Awakening. People are suddenly coming alive. That's a good thing. It means when you do, you have the opportunity to be the architect of your own future. It means that you get to participate in the direction of things, that you step into that role of, of actively co-creating what's about to happen next with everybody else. That's, that's fab. Um, this is how I think, though. Everything's just connected. So I, I'm just... I think I was a terrible teacher when I was, I tried to teach biology. I, well, I did to um, a bunch of homeschoolers because we homeschooled our three kids. And I would have kids in there from the ages of 10 to 18. It's a pretty wide range. And I just threw a college textbook at them, but we didn't start teaching. Like, how do you teach biology? Because, well, biology is like cells, but cells are made up of proteins and those are actually molecules. And now we have to talk about atoms. And then once you realize that, you're down to metaphysical particle physics and observer effects. And, and then it's just like this crazy mess. But that's life. That's what makes it so much fun. Um, and so when I connect stuff, I, this is how I see the world. I, I see it in terms of, of the framing. Um, and when you have a frame, you can take a highly complicated world and make it a little bit simpler so that you can take effective action. So I talked about rats in a cage, you know, um, 
that's that episode is is great. Uh, it's it's a really yeah. I probably could update that and just throw in you know events that I see. But what's happening in the Netherlands right now with the government saying we're going to seize three thousand farms? Well, we're going to give you money for it, but if you refuse, we'll take it by force. And apparently, they're also going to force the farmers when they cough up their farms to sign some sort of a document too that says, "And I promise to never be a farmer again in the future." So they're basically saying, "You you can't farm anymore." And so what is, you know, that's a rats in a cage moment right there, because I think the police who are going to be busy, you know, trying to evict farmers from their generationally held in work land, they're, they're going to be fighting, but, but they're actually rats in a cage. Neither of them are responsible for that particular battle. In fact, with the right framing, they'd realize they're on the same side of the cage and that they actually don't have any argument with each other. In fact, their argument is to the same um, different different people who are pushing both of their buttons. So, um, yeah, so good stuff there. I see lots of people saying here, not going to go in that cage. Anna's never going in that cage. That is good. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tom Jode thinks uh, that it's 20% fully awake, another half awake. But even if it's 30 fully awake, they're so busy surviving not to fight back. Well, yeah. But eventually you have to figure out where your bright red line is, right? You have to figure that out in advance because of this thing that's framing, which is called shifting baselines. And the shifting baselines is this concept that, that came from, I learned it through fisheries biology, where let's say you were a fisheries biologist in the 40s, like the oceans are teeming with stuff. And during your career, it kind of went to here. And then a new person starts their career here. And then during their career, it drifts to here. And then by the 70s, somebody picks up here and goes like this. And, and by the time you have somebody in the fisheries biology today, like the oceans are like stripped clean. 90% of the pelagic fish by weight are missing. Um, but if you took that biologist from the 40s and you dropped them all of a sudden into the 2020 landscape, they would be shocked and they would be just alarmed. But because it happened incrementally and each person started with a new baseline, the baseline shifted. So this is an important story. I, I was talking with a woman back 2011. She was in Egypt and they had this whole Arab Spring thing going on. And she's American. And they just had a new baby. And her husband was teaching over at, at, um, at the university there in, I forget where it was actually. But they were in the, they were in the, in the main city center. So... This was the Arab Spring started to happen, but they were in this really nice district way downtown. And all this stuff was happening way out at the edge, you know, it's happening way out there. And then the every night it would get just a little closer, but then it would ebb a little bit. And then the police would show up. And then, but by the time they realized, oh my God, this is right on our doorstep. Oh shoot, we have to get out of here. And they grab their infant daughter and they get in the car and they go to the uh, airport. They get there and there's tens of thousands of people trying to get out at the same time because everybody sort of had their baseline got crossed all at the same time, the red line, but it was too late. So instead, if you'd said, and you'd drawn this earlier, and you said, well, I know that there's these protests happening 10 miles away, but when they're five miles away, that's my red line, I'm going to the airport, we're out, right? You have to draw that line in advance because we're humans, and those lines shift up on you. So when you say, you know, people are busy surviving right now, the question is, where's your red line? What, what, what is it? Do you have them? So Evie and I, we have some red lines, right? No, nobody's going to round us up and put us in a van to go to a camp 
to get magic and magic juice. Right? It's not happening. Right. So, but we have a sense of where our red lines are, and you kind of have to know those things, and you get you gotta kind of have those conversations with your loved ones way in advance. They're very difficult conversations to have when they're happening. Um, but we see this all the time, like with people who have portfolios that are getting shredded during bear markets and they never really drew a line and said, I'm out, you know, and so now they're all the way down at that stuck level going, well, I, I hope it comes back, right? It's always good to have your your lines preset because that's just psychologically uh, super, super helpful. So um, at any rate, that having that framing can can really help. Uh, with that. So um, thank you, uh, Bushwriter, saying Rats in a Cage, one of the most important episodes. You use it every day. It's great. I mean, that. thank you. It's uh, coming up with the framing is no good if you don't take make use of it. I'm glad, I'm always glad to find out people make use of it. I find it useful. Uh, I like to share it because it is helpful and it helps us think where that, that piece is going to be before it gets there. Um, another big piece of framing is this thing. It's exponential growth. If you don't understand exponential growth, I have this uh, compounding is a problem. I think that chapter is like three minutes. There's a URL, but just you can search that on YouTube. It's free. It's just out there. And in three minutes, I'll take you through what's going on with exponential growth. And uh, the reason it's important is we're all humans. We think linearly and this stuff is nonlinear and we live in this nonlinear world. And the problem with that is if we think linearly, we're like, well, things will change you know, incrementally, but they don't, they change like this, right? It's like, um, uh, if you're bringing, if you're pulling two magnets together, two big, heavy magnets, right? You know, um, well, let's imagine you have two erasers, right? And you can just bring them together at a nice, even pace. But if you had two big, heavy magnets, they're just like that, right? And you could try that 10 times. You'll never wire the muscle neurological response to prevent that from happening because it's a nonlinear reaction that pulls those two things, force that pulls those two things together. So understanding that you live in an exponential world, it's not to get involved with the math and get all geeky and like notice these. It's that it's understanding that you can take the key concept of exponential growth away, which is that things speed up at the end when you're in an exponential system, they get faster. And when things get faster, you need a plan. That's how all of this comes together. So by understanding that I can show you all the different places we have these exponential curves. We have it in the debt markets in the United States and M2 money creation in the speed of communications. We have it in number of airline miles flown. It's in the depletion, exponential depletion of resources. We are surrounded by nonlinear stuff. Okay, what do you do with that? You you start to make different decisions in life and you figure out that it's really important that you have a plan before this stuff goes uh, goes uh, <laughs> into the really fast phase. But that's the world you live in. All of these big trends that are contained in that book called The Crash Course are now come and due. This is what's happening between here and 2030. I don't disagree with the WEF that we have to make some different plans. I totally agree with that. How they're going about it, I couldn't disagree with more profoundly. They want to tag and bag and control and put everybody on a central bank digital currency and they get to keep all of their jets. In fact, heck, they're even going to exclude their jet use fuel from uh, the additional taxes that they're going to lay on everybody else who has to be controlled. And in Oxfordshire, England, they're going to make sure that you can only drive at certain moments and you can't leave your district for more than a hundred days, you know, may the odds ever be in your favor. I mean, it's a creepy story, right? So how they're going about it is 
driven by this behavior right here, though, that they, they know they have the same story, I'm convinced. They know where we are in the resource story. China knows it. Russia knows it. We're hiding it from ourselves in the West. Canada, Australia, New Zealand, most of Europe, and the United States, we are just out to lunch on what is actually transpiring with respect to this, at least at the retail level, at least at the political level, which is a form of retail. Not at the wholesale level, though. The, the people at the higher end of this, they get this story and they're busy saying, this would be best for us if we could not have to give up anything, none of our jets, none of our privilege, none of our yachts or mansions, but it'd be good if we could put you on a universal basic income and get you stuck on that and then start squeezing that down, telling you how many days you can't leave your district, starting to constrain your ability to travel or travel freely. Well, we'll do that with a vaccine passport to start. We'll make it about a medical emergency, but later it'll be a climate emergency. And then after that, it'll probably be a different emergency. It doesn't matter. You can feel the, the, the outlines of the story. And they're saying something that I happen to agree with, which is we're going to have to start making different plans because of this stuff right here, right? And in particular, you know, when I said, you know, here's an example of an exponential curve, they were never paying that debt back. That's not a, not a chance. We're over $90 trillion right now, and it's growing fast. There's not a chance in the world we are paying that back. The only question you have to resolve economically is who's going to eat the losses. That's what this one chart says to me. Who's going to eat the losses? Obviously, Team Elite would like you to eat the losses, um, not them, right? And you get Janet Yellen out there, oh, I don't know, inflation is going to be transitory. We're not sure where it's coming from. He's such, he's such a dunce on this stuff, such a useful idiot. But um, inflation is one way that they steal from everybody. Great. So if you see this chart and you know they're going to steal your wealth with inflation, a lot of things are implied by that. And that's the work we do back at Peak Prosperity. And I do it here as much as I can, right? It's, it's once you know this and you believe it, and you've got your line in the sand, you start to buy and maneuver your wealth away from things that are exposed to inflationary processes. And you make sure that you are invested in a certain way. So my response, I like land with trees on it because I connect this curve to the oil curve and I live in a region where a lot of people still heat with oil and I can both escape the ravages of inflation and maybe... Um, you know, leverage this idea that, that we're going to live in an area that has a lot of trees on it, but a huge dependence on oil for heating. I can connect all of those dots into, oh, whenever I see a piece of land with trees on it come up, I take a good long look at it. And maybe that's something I'd like to invest in. So that's how these dots sort of pull together around that. Um, and uh, another thing I'd like to just say is, um, you know, I do. So guess what? I'm a quick learner. Eventually, it took me an embarrassing number of years to realize most people don't change what they do. They can change what they think, but they don't change what they do based on information. And most of the people who've assembled around my work and peak prosperity and got this great tribe of people over there, um, they, they really can adjust rapidly through information. And so it's, it's wonderful to be around that tribe because it's, it's just, ooh, it's very calming. Um, but I did understand that, and this is, I'm, I'm built this way too. I'm not to say I'm special. You know, I just, I can have a slightly faster adjustment reaction through, through information. But um, this is where I had to spend a lot of time was understanding how we're wired, wired biologically, wired through our brain, understanding that I don't have a brain. I have a 
three-layer brain, a very old archaic brain that goes all the way back to like worms. Um, and then we have an emotional brain that's wrapped on top of that. But literally, it's like taking an old DOS operating system and slapping Windows Vista on it or something, right? It's just like, it's just, it was just as awkward. Um, so that's how nature has done it. It didn't evolve the human brain from nowhere. It was like, we're going to start with a worm brain. We're going to go to the reptilian brain. Then we're going to splash on this, like, you know, early mammalian thing. And then later, the cortex gets, you know, slapped on there. It's an experiment in progress. So, uh, coming through the cortex isn't as good as understanding that that people, myself included, we make decisions based on our emotional centers more profoundly than our cortical centers. That's why when you see an ad for a SUV, they don't show people parking that at the mall. It's up on a rock with a mountain behind it. These people will never get to that situation. But emotionally, they're like, yeah, that is freedom and power. And I like those things because that's makes my brainstem feel awesome. So understanding how those brain pieces come together and how we're wired, you know, it comes together for me. And this, this is all framing material here. Understanding the difference between depression and demoralization is a life changer for a lot of people. Understanding the power of incentives. Charlie Munger, I love this quote. You show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. Love that. Narratives and belief systems, how are narratives, the stories we tell ourselves, how powerful those are. This, I couldn't believe the power of narrative. I know incredibly intelligent people, right? They've grabbed every intelligence brass ring. They got the PhD, they got the big job, and they are like totally wrapped around the axle of thinking masks and vaccines are the right way to go because the narrative shapers, they did an incredibly good job. I mean, like from a... From an execution standpoint, like really powerful what we just witnessed. I'm also a little scared of it, but uh, there it is. But at any rate, understanding that those narratives, those matter. And why do they matter? I'll tell you why they matter. Because um, if this is how long humans have been humans, right? We'll call it 200,000 years. The outer edge of this fingernail is how long we've had, like, I mean, the outer skin layer of the fingernail, the outer, outer edge of it, is how long we've had written word, right? Gutenberg Press and writing and all that, cuneiform tablets. Let's go back 5,000 years, maybe six on unwritten word. Oh, maybe even 10,000. But if this is 200,000 years, all this was oral tradition. This was stories. This is narrative. This is using our words. This is, we're built and wired for the narrative. That's why when you watch a Disney movie, it's got this hero's journey narrative arc that, has a story that our brains can frame into and land us into that story. And it makes it very compelling, obviously. So it's amazing. So the use of narrative is, is vitally, wildly important. And so why does that help us? Well, A, we can understand when they're trying to use narratives against us. B, we can resist the programming where they're trying to nudge us and do certain things. But most importantly, it helps us understand how to talk with friends, neighbors, colleagues, loved ones in a way that is more compelling. So this is really the art of being influential and learning how to navigate this very complex, subtle, dynamic world of operating with this triune brain, the three-layer thing, <laughs> reptile, you know, uh, emotional center, and then cortical center. And that all sort of comes together into this thing called adjustment reaction. So that's a, a, a piece I put together that begins to help frame that. So just how I think, and I love that level of framing because it helps me make sense of the world in a way that's, um, that's quick and dynamic. So... I just want to put that out there. Um, 
Did you say, Mike T asking, did you say we weren't told the truth due to certain people's egos? I'll put that into formula we can work with moving forward. Ego plus governmental authority equals extermination. Um, ego definitely prevents people from getting to the truth. I'm not sure. I don't ever claim to know the truth. My particular saying is, uh, though, I'm actually exquisitely good at detecting bullshit. So once you can carve that away, it's that Arthur Conan Doyle quote uh, that he had in The Dog That Did Not Bark, I think, is that, episode, that, that book, which was, once you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. So a really good thing is to know when people's incentives, when their egos are driving things. That was a huge wake-up call. I did not know this. I really actually trusted science a lot more than I do now. Now I look at the paper. You know the first thing I do when I read a science paper? I look at the names. I look at their institution. I read their conflicts of interest, and I don't trust that, and I actually search their names, and I search for grants. As soon as I understand where their money is coming from, then I have a sense of, of um, you know, where to slot and apportion and discount or weight the the data they come forward with just just how it is so um yeah it's very important to understand the degree to which people's egos and motivations and even something as simple as money can really get between them and their ability to be useful helpful or truthful um so absolutely um so uh at evie chick goats only if you need lots of brush cleared i guess so um i guess evie chick was in here leaving a comment somewhere uh, Evie Chick is, um, for those of you who don't know, that's my partner here. And uh, we might get goats, but there's an old Persian proverb that says, if you have no problems, get a goat. Uh, they are trouble. So I'm not sure if, if we're going to get those, but um, you know, we're coming up on the end of, of my time here. So I just wanted to show you while we're on that topic, all of this crazy stuff, looking at the world, the unsustainability of it, the exponential functions, the money this, the bad leadership that, hey, all of that conspires to... This is where we live now. So we we grew some real hero beats this year. <laughs> we, <laughs> we we went we went really far, um, and uh, we got you know lots of lots of uh, natural fertilizer from our cows, and we got you know the squash did really good this year, and here we are coming into fall. Um, this is our grapevines here, and we had a really good growing season. And we're very fortunate to live in a place now where we get to live around this. So living around, I translate all of this not into some sort of preppers, like, you know, hair shirt, you know, cower in a bunker thing. It's like, no, we're going to live around beauty and with a lot of love and admiration and awe. And um, see, here's a peach tree planted that two years ago. Next year is going to be awesome. Here are the cows. They're belted Galloways. Very, very nice. Um, you know, very calm cows. This is, we grew some sweet corn, and then at the end of the season, we let the cows in, um, and so they just love tromping around in there. They love head scritches and all of that. These are the second, third year. This will be the third year that these grapes are growing, so this is a second year harvest from some little vines. Next year's going to be astonishing. We've been putting in greenhouses. We've been improving the soil. Here I am just bush hogging the grass back down in to put more carbon back down, um, but ultimately, you know, this is... This is our this is our view. This is it. This is it right here. Um, <laughs> Grandma survived the Great Depression because her supply chain was local and she knew how to do stuff. If you know, when I get approached by a young person, they say, "What should I do?" This all looks very confusing. It's simple in a sense. Learn skills. Skills. Skills are going to be the most important thing. In turn, if you don't know how to do it, you know, get on YouTube, but figure stuff out. 
pound nails, bend nails, saw boards, distill, mash into whiskey, figure out how to raise bees, plant a little windowsill garden if that's all you can do, get your fingernails dirty, just figure out how to interact with with people in a, in a more um, deep and entrusting way. These are all the things that are actually going to be great. Uh, and life benef- life benefiting actions today and possibly life saving actions in the future. So um, that is uh, where I wanted to go tonight. Little 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 all over the map, but hey, I'd want to take the opportunity to introduce you to what we do. If you want to come by Peak Prosperity, please do. A great great tribe of people there. I call it a tribe. That's what we are. Um, I learn as much from the tribe as as I deliver. It's very smart and wonderful. So. Thank you to everybody who um, uh, used the live, the super chat function here tonight. Mike T, thank you very much. Um, I'm glad you got help through that. And James Mills, thank you for your support. Thank you for everybody for being here. Wish I could have gotten to way more of the comments, but maybe next time. So if you liked this, let us know, live chat, you know, and and, uh, be in here live with you. I like it. If you liked it, let us know. Um, Otherwise, uh, we'll see... Whoever comes by Peak Prosperity, see you there. But please, 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 please take steps to become resilient. There's things coming down the pike. And um, uh, I trust that you will know how to interpret that and what to do because it's going to vary for everybody. All right. Thank you very much for being here. We'll be back next time. Can't wait to see those of you who do come by Peak Prosperity. And if you could help me out by pre-ordering the Crash Course book, we'll stick it to the man. We'll say this book's going to get out there despite your attempts at censorship. So with that, thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.